podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. And welcome to the News from the Nurse podcast, your midweek news show brought to you by the Formula Nerds. Over the next 30 minutes or so, we'll cover the main news headlines from the past week and also uh, an interview for you today uh, with Escapade Living. Uh, We've got a great interview today, so keep posted for that. But obviously to help me, you know, cover all of this in great detail, we have the regular crew and uh, a News from the Nerds rookie. But first of all, James, how are we? We're not bad, thanks. How are we also? I'm good. I'm good. I've got, I'm COVID-free now, so I'm I'm all, I'm all happy. For those worrying, Glad to hear it. I know there was a lot of people worrying. I got a lot of messages. So, um, Abby, out. how yeah. are we? I'm good. I'm good. I'm excited to have a new rookie on board for us today. Yeah. Speaking of Sam, welcome to the team, man. Hello. Thank you for having me. Looking forward to getting started. Yeah. Well, we'll get started straight away, shall we? So. Obviously, last week, if you tuned in last week, we had uh, all a, a manner of um, car launch dates uh, for the Formula One 2022 season. And we've got two more to add to the list. So we have uh, Alpine, who will be uh, revealing their 2022 entry on the 21st of February. And then we also have Alpha Tauri, who are going to give us a nice Valentine's Day gift uh, on the 14th of February and hopefully release a competitive car, uh, which should be nice. So... Just to give you a quick rundown of the full list, we've got Aston Martin on the 10th of February, uh, McLaren on the 11th of February, Abby, I'm sure you're very excited about that one, uh, Alpha Tauri on the 14th of February, I know Grace will like that one because Pierre Gasly will be involved, so watch out Grace for the 14th of February. 17th of February will be Ferrari, uh, Mercedes on the 18th and Alpine on the 21st. February is going to be a very, very busy month, I think, for Formula One. Um, and obviously in, in February as well, we have testing confirmed for Barcelona and Bahrain. Uh, however, there will be no coverage on Barcelona, um, on the testing in Barcelona, but uh, the press are allowed in. Uh, in my opinion, this is pretty good. This is pretty good, I, I think. It's better than nothing, isn't it? I don't know. Uh, I think the whole thing's a bit weird. It seems there are rumours, aren't there, that uh, it was Bahrain paying for exclusive rights to testing kind of last minute because there are a lot of angry fans who have you know, booked flights and accommodation in Barcelona and now suddenly have found out that they're not allowed to go. I mean, yeah, I, I get that. But like I said in the last podcast, I mean, this this testing in Barcelona is for is for the teams mainly, I think. Um Sam, what do you think? I get what F1 are trying to do here. They're obviously trying to drum up anticipation. You know, the car's going to look so different this season. And yeah, they're trying to kind of, you know, create a real allure before um, Bahrain. And you don't want too much on track testing. You don't want to give too much away in terms of the relative pace of the cars. Not that testing ever really does. Um, But yeah, as James said, they've kind of fumbled uh, fumbled the delivery of it somewhat. I think if it had been clear from the start, it would be all right. See, it's the fact that it's coming so late when people, especially in you know the COVID world, people have to book pretty far in advance. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I think it could have been handled better, but yeah, well, cars and tracks never a bad thing, is it? Yeah, I agree. It could have been handled better. I can get why fans are a bit outraged if they've booked accommodation and that. But like Bridge said, Barcelona testing is more about the teams. It isn't a spectacle for the fans to see the cars. It's for the teams and the drivers to know how the cars are working, what they're going to be like, and to get a feel for it. But I've never really paid much attention to testing in the past myself. I've paid more attention to the the second session of testing. But yeah, it definitely could have been handled better. 
Yeah. yeah, he's basically said, I think, what we already knew, which is that people are going to miss a trick. Probably there'll be some teams who are left behind trying to catch up. Um, Mercedes, obviously, might not be one of those, but they could be. Anyone, anyone could pull a brawn this year. I think that's basically what he was saying. I do have a bit of a uh, a bit of a hot take. I know you've missed my hot takes, guys. So I'm gonna I'm gonna supply you with two now. I'm gonna spoil you a little bit. Um, I was having a think about this earlier today, and I think with all the new regulations coming in, um, you know, it's a brand new car. I think we will see a new Hass, but it won't be Hass. And I have a feeling because of all the you know Alan Prost leaving and suspected engine issues, I feel like Alpine are going to lose a lot of performance, especially at the start of the year. Don't know what you guys think, but I'll, I'll leave it out there. Um, and then the second one, which is even more controversial, is I feel like Red Bull might slip down to kind of competing for third and fourth, just because uh, they've been, they haven't really stopped developing. Um, I think they put all their eggs into the winning Max of Championship basket. Uh, and I think they will probably pay for it, uh, especially early in the year. I agree on the Red Bull point. I think they will have slipped back slightly. I don't think it's going to be a total disaster, but I think they'll be Ferrari will be in the mix, and they'll you know kind of be competing with them. Interestingly, you mentioned that Alpine there. See, from what I've kind of seen people talking about, is the suggestion that the Renault engine will be quick, but not reliable. And someone kind of joked about, you know, them locking out every front row of the season and then lasting, you know, seven laps. So, you know, you, you can see that. But 100% on Haas, if they haven't made a relative step forward, having spent all of last year developing that car, you know, it's not great, is it? So I mean, they've yeah, got to, Hopefully surely. they're doing forward. Yeah, they've got to, surely. I, I mean, I, I don't see how you can put in, you know, I can't see how Genie Haas can put in Millions and millions and millions, and then not at least move above Williams. I, that that is just preposterous to me. But if they do it, Haas is probably the team to do it. <laughs> yeah, I, I think if they don't, I think their involvement in the sport is going to be relatively short-lived. I don't see them making it to the next regulation changes. Yeah, I agree. I think we could see Haas doing a lot better than last year. Maybe getting some points, not loads of points, obviously, but... Maybe some more. And I definitely agree with the Red Bull statement, Bridge, because they also have the Red Bull powertrains this year. They're being in control of their own engine in partnership with Honda. So they may not be as focused this year. And Max has said before, he's achieved all he's wanted to in F1 now. Anything else is just a bonus. So whether he will be going after another championship, I don't know. But I definitely agree that Red Bull won't be fighting like they were last year. I mean, he's Max, isn't he? I don't think he's going to not try and win. I can't see him dealing with them slipping back into the midfield particularly well. I mean, he has. He, he's like um, he's like Charles. He's got a, a, a statement in his contract that says that if Red Bull don't come give him a car that can even win races, he is more than welcome to go elsewhere. Um, if he will now, after he's won a title, I don't know if that you know if that regulation changes, but uh, but we'll I guess we'll see in twenty twenty two. So staying on the kind of you know, Mercedes topic, what seems to be or needs to be a weekly kind of update at the moment is Lewis Hamilton watch. Um, I've been looking at his socials, still nothing. Um, I feel like I did see something about him following Jess Glynn on Instagram early this week. I checked just now, he's not following her at the moment. So I don't know what that's about, but... I think if he retires, we'll hear it from Lewis. If he stays on, I think we'll hear it from Mercedes. But I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't himself post until after the first race of the season. So I have some uh, heartbreaking news on the Jess Glynn front. Apparently, she like deactivated all her socials due to some controversy at the end of last year. So she's probably just recreated it and then he's gone back to following her like he did before because he couldn't unfollow someone whose account didn't exist. So that's the end of that one mystery on Lewis Hamilton watch. I, I can't, I can't see him coming back, to be honest. I don't think, for Lewis, I don't think there's a lot to come back to. If Michael Massey had been fired almost immediately, then sure. Yeah, fine. You know, he's, he's not got that hanging over him. But it's only going to get harder from now on 
You know, coming back in 2022, he's got to get used to a new car. He's got to get used to a better teammate. Sorry, Valtteri, but he has. He's got to get used to more competitive people around him. You know, Ferrari are coming up, McLaren are coming up. If Red Bull are still relevant in 2022, Max will still be there. So, you know, it's only going to get harder. He's 37 now. I mean, if you're going to get out of the sport, get out now. You know, let let the controversy of your final loss kind of carry you through and not let, you know, the haters hate. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think he's coming back. Haters will hate with Lewis, whatever he does. <laughs> I think I mean, that much is pretty clear. <laughs> but it's, yeah, it's a tricky one for him because if he's got to be curious whether Mercedes have nailed it and he comes back and then actually he's, he's better than George whether it you know whether George might be better in the long term but coming into a new team he's got him covered and then he's got his eighth title that he was was taken from his grasp at the last second and then he can sail off into the sunset in a much nicer way but if he comes in and Mercedes aren't at the front he can't just leave after the first race you know he can't retire after one race be like actually yeah no this is rubbish I'm at the back because it look really you know like it'll prove everyone right that it's been the car the whole time I mean he's con- he's contractually obligated to race until 2023 anyway but I don't think that involves um, retirements or anything like that and there was a yeah, story I mean, they can't running. force someone against yeah, their will can yeah, they exactly <laughs> but I do- I, there was a story running in the Telegraph that Mercedes expected Lewis to retire if he won his eighth title at the end of 2021. I just want to say, actually, the Telegraph, I've, I've got a bone to pick with you because I said it in a tweet and then the Telegraph posted an article about it. So Telegraph, I even want my credit or I want a job. All right, so I'm going to wait for your call and uh, I look forward to hearing from you. Um, Sam, what do, what do you think? I think, could, I think there could be something to that, the Telegraph article that is. I, why wouldn't you, you know? The bridge tweet, you mean, yeah? Yeah. Oh, yes. Apologies, yeah. <laughs> the bridge, because bridge. If you want to like drop your your, your handle, uh, you know, after I speak, you know, we'll, like, your followers <laughs> people know, people know, people know. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, I think he would have sailed off into the sunset had he won the eighth. I can't see, I can't see him retiring because, as James says, it's such a step into the unknown this season. Win the eighth and walk away, knowing that regardless of what was thrown at you, you still overcame it. So yeah. I don't, I don't think he's going to retire. I don't think he would Damon Hill it and try and leave halfway through a season uh, if, if the Mercedes isn't competitive. <laughs> to be honest with you, I think he sees out his contract if the Mercedes isn't competitive because he'll hope that you know they make gains you know, for 2023 at least. And I'm not surprised Mercedes have said this. Like, There's precedent here. Nico Rosberg did it in 2016. So, yeah, I'm, I'm not surprised that a story has been a drummed up about this I think that his Lewis has to be inquisitive about these cars he has to want to know what they're going to be like on track what George is going to be like as a teammate and I think he wants to get that eighth title I think he will want to make history Jensen Button has said that he thinks Lewis will get it and he thinks Lewis wants to get the eighth title so for me Lewis needs to come back he needs to get the eighth title and then he can decide whether he wants to carry on or not I have a hot take. Oh, I just, I just had a thought. Trying to steal my thunder, yeah. James. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's not. As, you don't have rights over hot takes, man. Come on. Conspiracy theory. Could it be this late last minute change for testing and the no, you know, no times released or whatever? Is that the FIA's peace deal to Lewis for him to quietly come in, see if his car's any good, and then if it's not, he can retire. Oh, that's a good one, Ooh. actually. Yeah, yeah that's say, interesting. That is interesting. Interesting but, talk. That is a very interesting. How would that work? Because everyone would know he's. Don't think too much about it, man. It's a conspiracy theory. <laughs> <laughs> Don't pull it apart. Right, it'll right, it'll right. collapse in seconds. All right, all right. I'll leave it be. Conspiracy theories aside, uh, the confirmed news for the start of next year, aside from the the few launches that we're hearing about now. Uh, is Red Bull. They have a major new sponsor for 2022, which is PokerStars. Now, it's been a bit controversial, this one. Uh, I think gambling companies coming more and more into the sport is always going to be controversial. I'll put it to you guys, see what you think. I don't like to see it. I think generally it's it's not a great thing to be pushing that they're obviously doing gamble aware and stuff like that because it's so prevalent in football now, but 
I've got I've got a real problem with it. I think for, for starters, and this is I'll get the trivial points out of the way. Betting companies, the sponsors look rubbish. Yo, football shirts look noticeably worse because of the ridiculous numbers of you know amounts of betting companies that you see on their shirts. And in fact, I'm pretty sure that it's been outlawed in football from a certain point and we're going to see a, a reduction in it. For me, um, gambling and crypto com- companies advertising in sport is the next tobacco. It's not going to be around for very long because you, know, you can have a gambler where you can have all these campaigns that try and tackle the issue. But it's, you know, you you give with one hand and you take away the other. Just don't advertise on the cards. These It's obviously a huge industry but it's damaging and you want a global fan base across you know different age demographics it's it's not appropriate and yeah i think i think it's going to look a bit silly on the car yeah i agree it's i mean i've placed the odd bet on an f1 race or a city match and that but for the teams to advertise it it's not good because you do have fans like you said of all different demographics and like, I know F1 fans who are 15 years old or even younger, and it is damaging and harmful because it's not something that we should be promoting, in my opinion. And there's a reason why every single alcohol sponsor in F1 advertises their 0% range, right? There isn't an equivalent for gambling. I mean, if there is, it's a no stakes poker game with your mates on a Friday night. You know, you're not going to go to an app for it. So yeah, I I think I think it's damaging. I think people have addictions and I think you should be able to enjoy sport and watch it without being constantly kind of bombarded with it. It's a shame really as well because it was something that wasn't really around in F1, certainly to the same extent. I remember if you do look on yeah, gambling websites, football's everywhere, horse racing's everywhere, there's quite a lot on tennis. F1's normally been buried. Like as someone who kind of, yeah, like Abby said, I would go on and if there was something I really thought would happen, actually I bet on Max to win the title last year before the season started because I thought they had a good chance. He was he was quite high odds. Not promoting it here, don't do it. But yeah, I mean, but looking for F1 has always been quite a difficult thing on a website. And it seems to be getting pushed more and more now, which yeah, like like you say, I don't think is a good thing. So talking about controversy and all things like that the FIA have banned military aircraft shows for the 2022 season but there are two places that are exempt from this which are Silverstone and Monza. Silverstone are allowed to have the red arrows before the Grand Prix because they are a commercial and civilian display not a military display and the Frecce Tricolori at Imola is also allowed to happen because it's safeguarding long-standing traditions. Now, there's a lot on social media about the FIA and their concrete rules and that, and why are these two places allowed to have it and why aren't others? And for me, it is a bit like the FIA need to have specific rules. Why are these places allowed to have it? Why aren't Barcelona or any other Grand Prix? I think I think the FIA, you know, they've got a plan. You know, we've we've got to save the planet, um, and I think you know they've made they've made several statements over the last you know few seasons of cutting corners where they can to make sure that F one is as eco friendly as possible. And yeah, I, I completely agree that you know it, it's not really needed. Yes, it's a nice spectacle to have you know a nice little air show before the before the race starts, but is it needed? No. You know, it's exactly the same as, you know, they fly a jetpack guy at NASCAR races. It's not needed, but it's just cool to look at. And I think that's 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 the whole point of it. Um, and I think I think Silverstone and Imola, you know, these places will fade out. I think, the you know, they're two, two of the most iconic races on the calendar. So they're just trying to grab onto as much spectacle as they can. Uh, and I'm sure as soon as F1 find a more eco-friendly option to do it, they'll they'll do it. Yeah, I mean, officially, at least, it seems they're saying that heritage kind of overrides the, this push. Yeah, and that's why Imler and Monza, Imler and Silverstone get away with it. And I think maybe the the big thing, it's, you know, the, the Abu Dhabi and the Bahrain Grand Prix where you see the, the full-on, like, multi-level jet 
going over. Maybe that's what they're really trying to cut down on because that's all that is is a sponsor thing rather than any kind of tradition. But yeah, it's it's a bit of a messy grey area, I think, overall. Yeah, I very much agree that it's it's messy. And I think part of the problem is is that this is first and foremost surely an environmental thing. And if they've come out and said it's you know, we're gonna allow Silverstone and Imola to do it for, you know, heritage and and, and non-military reasons, you're kind of diluting the message. And I think F1, like all motorsport, has to be really, really firm on environmental credentials. I don't think long-term the sport survives without, you know, taking on that kind of, you know, approach. So, yeah, I think they, they need to be kind of, you know, firm with it. Whether or not these races will do it and be fined in the future, in the future, like I'm pretty sure with the whole grid girls thing, Monaco kept on doing it. And I, I'm, did they pay a fine for that? Or they, I don't know if they had an exemption, but it's a similar kind of thing where they're cl- clinging onto a tradition that is, is going. Um, so yeah, I think it'll be phased out sooner rather than later. Um, and I think it's probably a good thing. It's a good spectacle, but the environment is important. Yeah, I agree. I agree. But now, obviously, speaking of Silverstone, uh, we have an ex- exclusive interview uh, today with Will Tyndall and Simon Truscott, the CEO and head of marketing uh, for Escalade Silverstone, the 60 resident complex being built at the historic track that aims to give race fans the best possible trackside living experience. So, without further ado, I hope you enjoy it. Ollie, take it away. We have an interview today where we're going to talk about a very, very exciting new project on the horizon at what's got to be one of the greatest racetracks in the world, Silverstone. Um, To talk about this with me, we have got Will and Simon. Um, Will, can you introduce yourself? Tell us who you are and what it is you do. Yeah, of course. So uh, so we're the developers behind uh, Escapade Silverstone. Um, So, yeah, we're responsible for delivering the project, uh, which uh, yeah, it's pretty exciting to be involved in. Um, as you say, you know, one of uh, one of the most iconic tracks. And we also have Simon with us in the background. Uh, Simon, what's your role in Escapade Silverstone? Yes, yeah, so uh, I've joined Will as head of marketing. Um, just getting the, the name out there, hence joining you guys. And uh, yeah, thanks for having us. So we're just really excited to uh, to speak about the project and let people know about about the development and what, what's coming at Silverstone in the future. Awesome. So it, for most of our listeners, they, they will know what Silverstone is and what it, what it stands for. And um, probably most of them will have been at some point. So, um, Will, if you had to sort of uh, summarise this project in one paragraph, uh, just to intro for our listeners, how, how would you do that? And then we can dig the bones a little bit more. One paragraph. OK, so, um, so yeah what what we are from a from an operational perspective is a hotel right so it operates as a hotel um although it is being built as what we call 60 residences and then a clubhouse um and we sit right between uh well a big we got a big stretch so we've got about 470 meters of frontage onto the track um and that's between cops going all the way to the edge of Beckett stand um, so arguably we think kind of the most exciting bit of Silverstone, uh, as well. So, uh, you know, it's all about sight lines clearly, um, about having an amazing hospitality experience, but actually much more than that, it's about being fully integrated into the track. Um, so think, uh, yeah, track days on a whole new level. So initially I was, I was confused about the development. I thought these were actually houses, not, not a hotel. I thought these were houses. And my question would have been, are people going to live in them or are they going to be rented? But I will change that question now. Now I know it's a hotel. So obviously the the idea is that this is a hospitality experience. Um, You know, how how do people go about inquiring about this? And sort of, you know, when's it going to be available to the public to, you know, get involved and have a go? So... So it'll operate, as you said, as a hotel. So it's Silverstone Circuit. So the key thing for us was always that what we didn't want to be is just a hotel plonked on the edge of the edge of the track and really nothing to do with Silverstone, except obviously when those big events are on, having a place to, to host people. Um, so, you know, Silverstone is a super active circuit. 
commercially, it's one of the most active tracks in the world. Um, so what people don't necessarily realize is that, you know, between the months of sort of March till pretty much so, you know, beginning of November, there's activity on track six out of every seven days. Um, and it's a huge range of stuff. So, you know, it's really important from us that on a day-to-day basis that we are really part of the circuit. And the only way to achieve that was uh, to have Silverstone circuits itself effectively operating us. So we will always be involved. Um, but on a day-to-day basis, Silverstone circuits operates us. So it's booked. It will be booked in exactly the same way as somebody buying a GP ticket, somebody booking a track day. It's all through the same office who are based at Silverstone. Um, and they're a big team. They're a massive team because, you know, they deliver obviously everything from GP um, right down to the day-to-day events that happen there. It sounds quite exciting for me. I'm really looking forward to potentially being able to sit in one of these hotel rooms and look out onto the circuit. I would feel like an absolute king being <laughs> sat there because Maggots and Beckett's is my favourite place to go and sit anyway. Uh, the, the two, yeah, the twice I've been to Silverstone, I went and sat there. So for me, being sat there in that sort of luxurious environment, I'd just feel like a king. And yeah, that'd be great to, to witness the race from there. That'd be amazing. That's that's the idea, Cal. I mean, we've shown loads of experienced racing drivers, you know, that, that have that know the track like the back of their hand, and taking them up two stories high or three, um, and, and showing them the view from up there over Maggots and Beckett's. They just don't know what to say. Um, there's lots of swearing and you know uh, happy faces. So yeah, I think you you will be wowed and you would feel like a king. Um, and also the fact that you know we mentioned it's a hotel, um, but they're in the form of residences. So the fact is you'll have a lot more space, and it is much more than a room. It's very much um, a luxurious open space that is very flexible as well. So they split down the middle. Um, they open up um, with a large glass um, view over the track. So it's a really exciting modern uh, space that, that, yeah, nobody's experienced before on at Silverstone. You just touched on um, one of my questions I had for you because I saw the other month you got to speak to Roman Grosjean about the whole project and about him. What was his reaction to when you told him about the project? Because he seemed quite excited. I think he used the word incredible. Yes. Yeah, uh, that was fantastic. Yeah, Grace, we um, yeah we got to sit down with with Roman, um, which was an amazing experience. And um, yeah, the fact that he was aware of us and, and wanted to chat was 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 just a sign of of how important this is. And um, I think no doubt we'll have other drivers like him um, come come and stay and come and see us and use the clubhouse. So for him to put put that uh, that kind of word out there to describe us is um, is really great news. So. Um, yeah, and also, you know, talking to him about his experience of traveling the world and um, some of the, the lesser experiences he's had, like at Suzuka, which has a track he loves, but he's just not been able to stay anywhere that uh, that lived up to what he wanted. So we're going to change that for him. Yeah. Yeah, I think he said he likes America now because he can stay in the big, the big, what, like motorhomes, but RV, yeah. Yeah, but I think having a nice residence could, could just. <laughs> be a bit better for him especially yeah. if he comes back to the UK does some events stuff like that so yeah. I can imagine him being really excited um, well one thing I found that I thought was um, really in, uh, unique and individual was um, I mean it's needless to say you would have been working quite closely I assume with with, with um, Stuart Pringle who who runs the Silverstone circuit um, as part of the sort of packages you can have storage for your vehicles, vehicle preparation for the circuit, uh, and maintenance for track days and, and, and the events of which you know aren't the Grand Prix. Um, did who came up with that idea? I mean, it's one thing putting a a luxury hotel or somewhere to stay, but to actually build this into the sort of the core motorsport fan—that's something completely different. Yeah, I mean, I think um, so. When we were looking at this originally, you got to uh, you got to remember. Circuits are great, but they're the most super seasonal businesses that you could possibly ever come across, right? You have, you know, Silverstone's pretty exceptional because it's such a busy track. Um, but, you know, you've still only got sort of 25 to 30 odd really big events. So, you know, ultimately what brings people to Silverstone the rest of the time? Um, and, you know, for for the average person, okay, pretty exciting going and staying at Silverstone, but you're probably only going to do it once or twice outside of a big event. Um, and the only reason really people want to be there is to be on track and ultimately to be on the same, you know, GP circuit, 
that you know they've seen all their you know sort of drivers that they follow and stuff uh, and and kind of live out those uh i hate to say it but i probably still i still think i'm going to be a formula one driver and i'm well 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 past it now um i creep when i get into a car so i'm definitely uh definitely past that um but i still want to live you know live the life and believe that i can and actually you know the big thing for us is all those bits so you know increasingly people have track only cars right um so they have cars that they don't want to take on the road and they just want to uh you know to race them around the track so the key thing for us was to have storage track side so you can take your car out of the storage and go directly onto the track you don't have to worry about uh, sort of trailering stuff in and the risks involved with that um you know all the car prep all the car maintenance but also in the clubhouse we have all the things that actually you know really formula one drivers and and other drivers do do actually have so we've got what we call a driver focused gym so the same uh, the same sort of training um that you know real racing drivers do uh we've got sims uh so you know high spec sims um we've got you know great driver instruction uh and and then some of the other stuff such as you know swimming pool a nice social space um you know really good restaurant really good bar so yeah it sounds a bit like heaven. Like if you just, if, for me, if you could describe yeah, heaven, I think you've just done it. <laughs> Please take me. <laughs> I think there's a lot of people though, right? There's a lot of people, you know, if you're, if you're interested in motorsport, right, you know, 90% of them want to be a driver, right? Give them the chance. We all want to be drivers. We all want to be racers. Yeah, I agree. And I think kind of segueing from what Callum said and what you guys have said, you, you know, you've painted kind of a luxury slash heaven picture in our heads. Um, do you think this maybe will steal back some of that kind of glitz and glamour that we find at Monaco? Do you reckon we'll be able to get that at Silverstone with that, with these kind of, kind of developments? Yeah, we want to, I mean, okay, there's no doubt that over the GP that these things are going to be expensive, right, to rent. Um, but actually, you know, the rest of the time of the year, we don't want it to feel super exclusive. You know, we want it to be accessible. You know, this is not like a private member's place. This is accessible to anybody. And, you know, pricing wise, it's not going to be crazy. Um, you know, we've got enough rooms um, and it's all about driving re revenue into the rest of the track as well. Uh, so, yeah, you know, glitz and glam. Everyone loves that. Everyone wants, you know, expects a certain level of service and and sort of, you know, a certain level of accommodation and stuff like that. Um, but it's not going to be, yeah, it's not going to be exclusive. You know, we want people, we want to give people access to motorsport. And actually, you know, it's all about sort of like-minded people and and being the opposite of that, being inclusive. So is, is this available 365 days a year? So for, for example, I had um, a friend come over and stay with me from um, the USA who'd never been to England and he wanted to see Silverstone. Um, so we drove down from Manchester for a day, which was obviously about three hours, looked at a track with no cars on it and then drove back again. And he was he was happy with that because he's a true sports motor, a motorsport fan. Um, but can you just go when there's no events on and just... Look at it, and you know, stay a couple of nights, um, and then pack your bags and go. Is that an option, or is it set times? No, three hundred sixty-five days a year. Yeah, this is where you know the key thing for for Stuart. You know, you mentioned Stuart Pringle earlier on. You know, the key, one of his key uh, sort of you know ambitions is to make Silverstone truly an all-year-round destination. Um, and they're doing some amazing things, and there's some incredible plans. Some of it we can't really talk about yet because they haven't been kind of officially released but there's some really exciting things coming up um that will make you know silverstone really an all-year-round destination uh and you know it's an amazing space right it's got the cachet um it's got amazing infrastructure it's it's you know located in the middle of the uk and yeah there's a lot there's a lot more coming um which is great mm. and not to mention i think as well the um the fact that even in the winter, there's the lap of lights, which lasts over a month. And then, um, you know, that brings in a hell of a lot of visitors as well. And it's quite a spectacle. And then you've got, you know, on a quiet day, yeah, there are sometimes there's less going on, but, you know, there's prototypes going around the Aston circuit and the Stowe circuit. You've got the Porsche visitor center, which is right next door to us. So there's always something going on and you're likely to spot something or see a car that you, you know, it's for car spotters or for car fans. There's, there's always something going on. 
The key thing is on the quieter days, you know, the, the beauty of that is that's when there's track availability. Yeah. Um, so that's when the opportunity is to come along and actually get out on track, right? If you haven't got your own car, you know, Silverstone are just buying a whole new fleet of cars. Um, so some really exciting stuff. Uh, and again, you know, it's meant to be accessible. It's not, it's not just for the, the 1% of the 1%. That's, that, that's, that all sounds amazing. You just touched on there, Simon, that you're next door to the Porsche Visitor Centre. Mm. Now, if memory serves me right, there's a little, is there not a little track there as well? Yeah. yeah so, so is that, is that going to be going to no, make no, way that, for these? So that's staying. Yeah, that's very much staying. Um, they actually have, I think, 15,000 visitors a year just through their doors. Um, yeah. Obviously, some of them are looking for places to stay. Uh, like Ollie's friend from Manchester, you know, people come from all around the country um, to, to pick up their car from there and to, to test it on their skid pan um, and their, their handling track. So, yeah, along with Aston Martin, who's um, more of a private facility. Um, yeah, there's, there's a hell of a lot going on. So, Cool. Cool. Have you, seen, uh, have you guys to... seen uh, the Aston Martin facility? It's amazing. Oh, yeah. The Formula One, you know, this new facility that they're building. They only started building it three months ago, but it's huge already. It's really, really big. It's it's going to be an incredible facility. You should have a look at those plans. I, I'm sure we'll try and worm our way in somehow. Yeah. At some point. I don't know if this is a bit of an obvious question, um, but uh, when when it will it all be available? When when is kind of the earliest date that you? Because obviously. Covid's happened, and I'm sure that's held you back a little bit. But um, yeah, when when can we start booking and start having a heavenly time? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we'll be operational from May 23. Um, so just in time for for GP and MotoGP. Um, and what that will be is 40, so 40 residences in the clubhouse, and then we do have a further 20 that we're going to be building, um, and that will those will complete in October 23. So it'll be open and effectively from a booking perspective, we're going to open up those bookings about six months before that. Um, so six months before May 23. So end of this year, really. So I've got, I've got time to save up then. That's, that's, all, yeah. that's all I was, that's all I was really <laughs> concentrating on. That's fine. <laughs> uh, well, is, is there a risk that you're going to get your Martin Brundles of the world, your Damon Coulthards at the British Grand Prix who no longer want their motorhomes and they want to be in these locations for the Grand Prix weekend or are they off limits? No, everyone's, uh, you know, everyone's, everyone's invited, right? Um, and, you know, I think, uh, I don't know how, how familiar you guys are with the BRDC farm, Um but uh, there's there's a time and place for living in an RV or camping, and I think uh, you know certain people probably have had enough of that, and uh, they want they want to have a nice shower and a nice you know a nice feed, and uh, you know maybe go for a swim and and do stuff a little bit differently. So where where I was going with that is you may be rubbing shoulders with some impressive people if if you're if you're around this at that time of year. Yeah, I mean, uh, so DC knows our project very well because he's uh, he's president of the BRDC. So um, the BRDC are the owners of Silverstone. Mm -hmm. So we have a lot to do with uh, with him. And uh, yeah, uh, they're all. Uh, I think they're all quite excited, which is great. We had the, we had a lot of them up. We we built a big stand for some of the the big events this uh, this year, uh, um, and we had a lot of them up on the stand, sort of witnessing uh, exactly what the views were going to be like. And uh, yeah, as Simon said earlier, you know, no one's ever seen the sight lines from that side of uh, Silverstone, and uh, you can see you can see sort of eight corners. It's, it's amazing. We had you know Verstappen's crash right in front of us. We had Hamilton's overtake right in front of us. Uh, so yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah, don't don't mention the crash, please, mate. That's <laughs> a subject for me. Um, that's again sounds really exciting because that again is my favourite section of the track. So that'd be amazing. Um, I've got a, probably a premature question, but do you ever see this project going international, potentially at Spa or Monza or another circuit around the world? You, could you see it happening around the world? Uh, we've got some conversations going on. So uh, nothing, you know, they're all quite early, um, but there's, there's, there's a track in Italy that we're, we're, we're actively talking to um, and there's, there's something else in the Middle East as well. Cool. 
Well, you know, they'd be stupid not to by the sounds of it. That's all I'll say on that. (laughs) We agree. (laughs) Now, Simon, I know you're the the marketing specialist here, but I I need to just give you one, well, one request slash tip that I'm just going to ask you. If there was a Valentine's Day package, I would definitely take my wife. So (laughs) if you can make that happen, there is a brilliant excuse for me to take her away um, somewhere which works for me and also very lovely for her. So... um, have a think about that one. Definitely. Um, yeah, we'll see what we can do. I mean, we've definitely had a few requests already from people wanting to have their honeymoon with us and uh, we'd, we'd love to accommodate them. So, um, yeah, I think um, our GM, so we've got a GM on board uh, with Silverstone um, who's already planning behind the scenes a lot of the stuff that's going to happen. So um, I'm, I'm sure he's got some great ideas as well. So we'll definitely put that one in the mix. I was just going to say a honeymoon at Silverstone sounds like my cup of tea, honestly. <laughs> I know, I've just booked my honeymoon. I'm gutted now. I should have delayed it. <laughs> I've got quite a few years, so I could definitely get to the Silverstone one. We'll, uh, yeah, we'll welcome you happily, Grace. Great. Thank you very much. <laughs> I was going to say, because I've, I've been quite interested in this. I saw a few days ago on Twitter, I think you officially broke ground. How many years has it taken to actually get to this point? Has it been like a lot of planning? Obviously, COVID must have not helped with the production and planning of it, but... Yeah, it's taken, um, you know, all these things, right? All big big construction projects take a long time. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of people we had to convince that it was a good idea. Uh, and so Silverstone's owned by 800 racing drivers, um, so, you know, we had to get them all on board, everyone comfortable with it and, you know, explain, explain what the proposition was. Uh, so yeah, it's taken, it's taken a few years, taken a few years, but, but super exciting now to be properly on site. So, you know, if you come up to Silverstone sort of tomorrow, you'll see some, some really big, uh, sort of Tonka toys, as I call them, but like big diggers and stuff like that. Uh, and, uh, yeah. We just started doing all the all the sort of groundworks. So I love I, that even more now. I'm a big fan of diggers as well. Great. <laughs> right. they don't let you drive them, which is really disappointing. Oh, <laughs> just take a digger onto the track. Yeah, possibly nah, a bad idea. <laughs> We've had the opposite though. We had um, a Ferrari F40 on our car park, um, which was effectively, you know, uh, what is our building site now. So we've had a lot of posh cars and. and fancy machinery but we just swapped it for diggers now some um, would say an upgrade some would say a down <laughs> i mean yeah yeah uh just one more question for me actually I'm, I'm not sure how involved you guys are in kind of the design and the architecture side of of these houses um but what kind of what kind of inspiration do you think they're drawing on because t- to me looking at the site and looking at the pictures they look fantastic and it's very f1 design language it's very you know sleek very aerodynamic. Do you think that's kind of been the inspiration around it? So, you know, when we, when we initially went out um, to do the designs, we were actually, we're super fortunate because, because of what Silverstone is, um, you know, it's meant to be modern. It's meant to be forward thinking. There's already a super iconic building uh, in the wing, um, which has, you know, it's pretty out there, right? It's, it's, it's different to, you know, what you'd see in a, traditional sort of setting. Um, so, you know, we wanted something to, to echo that, uh, and also, yeah, to get the movement, right. So, um, you know, our architects looked at it from the perspective of sort of slipstream. So you see these kind of big cantilevered buildings, um, like sitting, uh, sort of at a slight, uh, angle to each other. And it's meant to be, you know, it's meant to have, uh, some form of relationship to a vehicle passing, some of it might be lost, you know, I don't think people are going to necessarily pick up on that, but we wanted to be exciting. We wanted to explore the, the sort of the language of Silverstone and the movement and, uh, and also get some of, some of those existing buildings um, in there as well. Will there be uh, a TV in this room or hotel kitted out with Sky Sports F1 while you're watching the race so that when they've zoomed past and you've seen your eight corners, can you then switch and listen to Crofty and watch the action live. Is that all going to be happening, you know, simultaneously? Yeah. Is that a possibility? So you've got actually not only that, you also hook into the Silverstone uh, feed. Um, so all of the yeah. yeah, all of the Silverstone circuit feeds. You know how you get it on the big screens. You have that in your living room. Yeah, so That's you can amazing. stand on your terrace and you can look 
uh, into your living room and you've got a big 60-inch TV uh, on the wall with it all playing. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've just spent my deposit for my mortgage, you know. That's, <laughs> that's <what I'm> coming. <laughs> That, now, it, it, it's a fantastic project, and I'm really excited about this. I think it's one of the most innovative things that we've seen in a while. Um, and I, I just really want to recap to our listeners, this is not a hotel, as, as, we, as Simon started by saying. This is not, you know, there is another hotel nearby. This is not that. Um, this is an, a very, very integrated experience with Silverstone um, and with what it stands for. So um, it's all very easy to talk about, but where can... Um, our listeners go and have a look for themselves what, what, at what's coming and, and see the development and really get a taste for it. Yeah, so um, we've got the Escapade Journal, which is where we're, we're putting up all of our regular news. And uh, actually, we've got a feature, you know, the one with Roman. Um, we've got something on the architecture and how that developed as well. Uh, touched on um, and we're hoping to expand that and uh, and send people that way. But also just following us on social um, Equally, Silverstone are sharing stuff, as uh, as Grace said. So we're hoping to uh, to very much get the name out there and and also inform people and and help them to get as excited as as we all are. So, uh, yeah, follow us at Escapade. Uh, we will keep you posted on the project through formulanose.com as well. So uh, make sure you keep it there. You'll see the updates as they happen. Um, but for now, Will and Simon, uh, thank you so much for coming on and talking about it. It has been um, really interesting, uh, and you've certainly got me extremely excited well they certainly have me saving up uh, it sounds great uh, like a great experience and one I hope spreads to all four corners of the, of the F1 calendar um, but Sam I hear Formula E is is coming back can you tell us a bit more about it yes so yeah speaking of spreading around the calendar it's the first race of the eighth season of Formula E this weekend it's in Saudi Arabia, um, and the first race is on Friday um, on the Channel 4 YouTube channel, and the second race is live on Channel 4. Um, so yeah, going to be really exciting. I don't know if you guys have seen the uh, the promo ad. Uh, it was doing the rounds on social media with the, the drivers running through restaurants. Uh, it's a bit much. <laughs> I enjoyed it, but I, was, I, I couldn't get past the whole, well, you can't do that. You're not allowed to do that. And also that poor family are just trying to enjoy a meal. <laughs> so, so yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I think it's growing in, in, um, in popularity. And I think, you know, it's, it produces good racing. It's close. Um, and yeah, one thing, the qualifying format seems to be a bit of a mess. I don't know if you guys have I mean, seen that as well, James. Yeah, I've seen it. There was a very, there was a very funny tweet, um, from Dan, our old podcast host, um, that said he's going to have to retake his maths GCSE to try and to try and understand what's going on with qualifying, uh, and I agree with him. I agree with him. It, it's it's a little bit like they're trying to create a bit of a bit of a spectacle, um, but they have to at this point because you know Formula E is it's one of the futures of racing. Um, so so hopefully you know I'm going to be I'm going to be tuning in. So hopefully you guys are as well. Um, yeah, and I hope I hope it's it, it delivers on some on some decent racing. I think it's good that uh, Channel 4 got it on, on the main channel as well because I think BBC, a lot of the time it was just on the website which kind of gets lost. You know, It might be on the front page of BBC Sport but if people are going to be BBC Sport it's probably for to find a specific bit of news like be it football or whatever. Um, so yeah, I think that's good. It'll help push it. Uh, channel 4 generally done a great job with their F1 coverage as well. Uh, in terms of qualifying, I think yeah, once it, that flow chart that they released is crazy and makes it look so complicated. It, I think it actually seems like quite a cool idea having figured it out after a lot of, yeah, close attention. It looks like it's basically going to boil down to a knockout system, isn't it? So the, the top four from each of the two groups go up against each other and then they whittle down to eventually getting a one-on-one -on -one for pole, which is quite a cool idea different you know to do something different to F1 and there have been a lot of terrible qualifying formats that we've seen in both sports I think you know anything that's different is cool right you know if you're if especially in Formula Formula E their whole their whole sport is different and they're trying to be different from Formula 1 um, so yeah I, I support it even though it's confusing as hell um, and the, the diagram they put on, put on social media did not help that at all 
Uh, it mostly turned into a meme, to be honest. But um, but yeah, I'm fully fully for change, and I hope it. I hope it actually works. You know, it might work on paper, but I hope it actually practically works. Yeah, I must admit, I haven't watched much of Formula E before, and seeing that structure that they put on social media did confuse me. So I will be tuning in this weekend to see if I can make any more sense of it and to actually see what it's like. I think it's one of those things that if it works, it'll really work. And yes, I I like that they're doing something different. And yeah, I think on first glance, it does look confusing, but very quickly, I think we'll we'll get used to it. I remember when when F1 changed the, the current kind of format qualifying everyone was like what is this and it was after a period of a few years where it was constantly chopping and changing so i think very quickly people get settled um into it and yeah brilliant this on channel four because it's really a sport that should be um you know at the forefront of kind of you know most sport and yeah it's really great that wide range a wide range of audience you know can can see see the sport now um so yeah i'm looking forward to it so that is the all time we have for today. But remember to check out formulanerds.com for all the latest motorsport news and tune in to the Cut to the Race podcast for a very exclusive interview with a very special person who me and James and Ollie and Cal had the pleasure of interviewing. And yeah, that's it for today. Hope you enjoyed the news and remember to come back next week. Thank you. See you later, guys. Thank you. <laughs> Bye. It is going to be a catchphrase. You can't help yourself. Podcast Network.